Well, today we begin a new sermon series. We're going to look at this letter, this book of Colossians in the New Testament. And the sermon series is titled, Walking in Faithfulness. Walking is used metaphorically in the Bible to, to represent how people live their lives. For instance, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Earlier, Grayson read from, from, uh, Psalm 1, where we read, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Many of you are familiar with Micah 6-8, right? Which says, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? And how about Ephesians 2, uh, verse 10? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I think we get the picture. Metaphorically, we're all walking. Our lives are up to something. And I guess that there isn't a single person here in this room this morning who doesn't want their life to be up to something good. The question is, though, what is this faithful walk supposed to look like? Well, our study of this book of Colossians will help us to see more fully. Let's read. Let's find out. Colossians 1, um, verses 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ in at Colossae, grace to you in peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you. Since the day you heard it, and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If we want to know God, if we want to know his will, if we want to know his way, then we must know his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word to us, this letter written to that ancient church in Colossae, but in many ways it's to us as well. Um, A small church, 15 years old or so was what they were, and that's who we are as well. We're in need of learning what it's like to walk in ways that honor you and please you, 
um, give us the grace in this hour to process this word towards us that we may more fully understand it and live it out, we pray. Amen. You know, we don't need to know, uh, we don't need to have a calendar or a watch to know it's a new year, right? All you got to do is watch TV. You've seen the advertisements, right? It seems like every year at this time, there's all of these diet ads um, trying to sell us some newfangled way to, to lose weight in the new year. It seems like every year something new comes out. You guys remember the Atkins diet? Is anybody still doing that? It seems like so long ago. And then after that came, what, the South Beach diet? I did that for a while. It's pretty good, right? And then a couple years ago, it's all about what this ketone diet. I don't know. It sounds, sounds kind of crazy. Um, and then recently, though, maybe you've heard of it. Like there's this new diet. It's called intermittent fasting, right? Nod your head if you know what that is, right? So what this is, is you block out a time slot during the day, six, eight, ten hours, and that's the only time in which you're allowed to eat. <laughs> and so after that, no soup for you. <laughs> and you know, I'm sure next year there's going to be something new, some newfangled thing to add to your life. And, and, and it all makes things so complicated. It, it need not be, right? A healthy, fruitful uh, body is really quite simple. You, you guys, do you guys know the timeless gospel message for a healthy body? Here it is. Eat right and exercise. <laughs> Eat right and exercise. That's it. I just saved you $79 plus shipping and handling. If you're faithful to embrace this truth, your body will bear the fruit of it. But for some reason, we think that there's got to be more complexity to it. A similar message is what Paul is attempting to drive home with this church in Colossae. See, the gospel has come to them. They believe the simple message of the gospel. But now it seems like more is needed. Why? Well, a number of reasons. What? For one, you know, life in many ways got harder since they became followers of Christ, not easier. Family members, neighbors, they mocked them and ridiculed them for their believing in the gospel. Oh, Jesus, he was just a man, they would say. Or he's just one of the gods of the Roman pantheon. They're all worthy of our worship. In addition to being mocked and ridiculed, they were pressured to blend into the gospel, other religious beliefs. You will, we will see further on as we study this book that, that there was these rules and regulations, things you could touch and not touch, things that could be eaten and not eaten. There are certain pagan festivals that were forced upon them to add to their calendar. Even the worship of angels was being pressed upon them as something that needed to be done in addition to the simple, beautiful gospel message. And so they were feeling maybe there is something lacking in the gospel message they received. And I think if we think it through, that, that this, this is something that we face too, right? Do we not tend to want more out of life than we currently are experiencing? And so we can feel like perhaps the gospel isn't checking off some box in our life that we want. Did you ever feel this way? And is it not true that we're 
we're pressured from the culture we live in to, to soften the truths concerning Christ and his kingdom, to take the gospel message and make it more palatable um, for our culture. And do you not feel at times that being a Christian, like a faithful Christian, is hard, and therefore perhaps there's something lacking that the gospel just doesn't address? One commentator tells us, he describes this problem that Paul is addressing here, and he says it's, it's a problem of perspective. The Colossians then, and us today, need to see from a proper perspective that everything we need, God gives us in the gospel. Everything we need is in the gospel. There is no box, listen, that the hope of the gospel does not check off for you. And so if you feel that the gospel lacks something good for you, then it's not the gospel that is lacking, but your perspective of the gospel. So in our passage, Paul does something wonderful for us. He puts our lives and the gospel in proper perspective. And so what we will see today is this, that in the gospel, God has given us everything we need to walk faithfully and fruitfully. Oh, and by the way, those are our two main points. Faith, walking faithfully and walking fruitfully. So Paul begins verse 1 and 2. He's greeting the church and giving them thanks. Uh, he and Timothy, uh, thankful for the work that Epaphras has done and bringing the gospel to them. And in verse 3, we see that, that Paul says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Paul praises God and he gives him thanks. Thankfulness. Understand this important truth. Without thankfulness, there can be no faithfulness. See, without gratitude, you will walk in bitterness. It just happens. But when you're thankful for all that God has done for you, your heart is tuned to the will of God and you happily walk in faithfulness. There's a link between thankfulness and faithfulness. Now, verses 3 through 8, it's multiple sentences in English, but in the original Greek, it is one big run-on sentence. And if you actually do what I do, which is take the sentences and I diagram them visually and I separate out all the words and parts of it, you come to realize that there's one line in there that's really central to everything. It begins right before verse 6. Look at it with the words, the gospel. Paul writes this, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing. Paul is saying something important to understand, that the gospel came to Colossae, listen, is the same gospel that went everywhere else in the world, and guess what? It is bearing fruit wherever it goes. There is but one gospel. It's a simple message of what God has done for mankind through Jesus Christ. It's one message for all people. The gospel isn't different messages for every possible people group or social status. Why does Paul mention that the gospel, uh, that the gospel is changing the world, that this gospel is the same gospel that came to this small backward, back, backwards uh, community of Colossae? Perspective. 
He wanted to, to them to have the proper perspective. The gospel upon which your faith rests, it isn't a beta version, right? It's not a trial run. It's not last year's model. It's not lacking. It's the simple, timeless gospel. Paul wants us to see two aspects of this gospel, that it is the gospel is universal and that the gospel is effective wherever it goes. Paul writes that the gospel has swept across geographical and racial barriers. Against all odds, it has found a ready reception throughout the world. And because the gospel is able to cross all barriers, what? We can know that the gospel is truthful and trustworthy. See, if the gospel were only for Jews and not for Gentiles, then the gospel would be lacking, right? And if the gospel was just for poor people and not for wealthy people or middle class people, then the gospel would be lacking. And we would be wise to look outside of the gospel in order to check off some boxes in our lives. But there is no people group, nor is there any race or economic strata that the gospel cannot go into and bear fruit. Isn't that beautiful? You know, we own this church building, and we've been in it for like a decade now, over that. And do you know that the key to the front door um, doesn't open up any other doors in the building? <laughs> it's like, we need to get this whole thing re-keyed. Is there a locksmith here, by the way? Maybe? I don't know. Does a locksmith owe you a favor? Send them my way. We have seven doors, and I'm guessing there's seven different keys, but I don't know where they are. Right? Oh, to have that master key that can open up every door. My friends, that is what the gospel is. It is a master key. And, and it, the key, it does not need to change for, for each door that the gospel opens. Listen, the gospel can open up any heart of any person to whom God has come for entrance. The simple gospel message is universal. It's also effective. Paul highlights the effectiveness of it in verse 6 when he says, in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you. The gospel came to Colossae. It's born fruit, meaning people have come and, be, and come to believe in Christ. From Paul's perspective, there it is again, the gospel was advancing into the whole world. Which is interesting. Why? Because that's not how most people living in Paul's day would have seen it. Most people in Paul's day would have not thought that the gospel was a big success. The Jewish historian Josephus wrote a big account in the first century AD of the history of the Jewish people, and he hardly mentions Christians. The Roman historian Tacitus mentions Christians, but only, only as Nero's scapegoats for the fire in Rome. By contrast, Paul had the perspective to see what they could not see. It's what Jesus spoke of, right? Jesus said, what, that, that, that little seed the size of a mustard would be planted. And because God was the one who was doing the watering, it was going to grow big and worldwide. The gospel was birthing, bursting forth in small groups of Christians all over, and not just in the vital economic centers such as Rome and Corinth and Ephesus, but also in the, the declining backwater communities like Colossae. Now, why is it important for us to grasp that the gospel is universal and effective? 
Because we need to get the perspective that the gospel does not lack anything. And so if persecution comes your way, it's not the gospel's fault. You don't need to water down the gospel to make it more palatable. Nor do you need to add anything to it. In fact, don't add anything to it. The gospel is sufficient to check off every box in your life that needs checking off. And the gospel allows you to live in this broken world, listen, with hope. See, how does, how does Paul identify that the gospel is bearing fruit in Colossae? Is, is it because their building got paid off? Is it because they had this big, big budget surplus? Is it because the parking lot was packed with cars? No. Paul, Paul says that there's a presence of three things. Faith, love, and hope. It's a triad that Paul mentions elsewhere in Scripture. Why, does, why, why do we see faith, love, and hope in multiple places in the New Testament? Because they belong together. Look at verse 4. Paul says that he and Timothy always thank God when they pray for them, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. How can you know that the gospel has come to you? Are you to look at your career success? Are you to fixate on on relational success? No, you can know that the gospel has come upon you if faith, love, and hope are present. Now, Paul helps us to see an important truth, an important point with regards to faith, love, and hope. Let me ask you a question. Think this through. This is where you got to put your brain on. Think it through. I'm going to... I'm going to give you uh, this or that thing, and you got to figure out which one is right. Do you have hope in your life because of your faith, or do you have faith because of your hope? It's important you get the right perspective. Paul says it's the second one. Look at verse 5. He says that we walk in faithfulness and love because of the hope laid up for us in heaven. Of this hope you have heard before in the word of the, of the truth, the gospel. We don't walk in hopefulness because of our faith. We walk in faithfulness because of the hope that the gospel gives us. Now remember, when the, when the Bible uses the word hope, it doesn't use it in the sense that we normally use the word hope. Like, I hope I get a promotion, or I hope he asks me out on a date. Um, we tend to use the word hope to indicate something that we want, but we're really not so sure if it's going to happen or not. We, we hope it happens, right? But that's not how hope is used in the Bible. And my friends, the hope that God gives us in the Bible is certain and it is secure because it rests in His faithfulness, not ours. Nothing can take it away. And so our 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 hope isn't rooted in our faith. Rather, our faith is rooted in our hope. And we walk in faith because of our hope. See, it's true, isn't it? Isn't it true that there's, our, our faith can feel like it's like a wave on the ocean going up and down with, with, with the silliest reasons in life, right? Thankfully, our hope never changes. Why? Because the author of hope, he's laid it up in heaven for us. 
What does that mean, really? Well, further on in his letter, we don't have time to get into what this hope is, but Paul dives deeper into what this hope in heaven is. For today, suffice it to say that that this hope is Christ and all that he means for you, yes, in the age to come, right? The glory. Um, and, and just at the end, if you have your Bibles open, Colossians 1.27, uh, there's this mystery that Paul says that is now revealed through the gospel, that it's not, this gospel isn't just for Jews, but also for Gentiles. And the mystery is what? The hope of glory? Christ in you. Christ is in heaven, reigning and ruling, and by his spirit, he's also present in us. This is our hope. And upon this hope, our faith is attached. Our faith may go up and down, but our hope never changes. My friends, this is the perspective we need to have. Do you see why delighting in this hope that is laid up in heaven for you is important? It changes your perspective on life. It's this hope that bolsters your faith, not the other way around. And so if you feel like your faith is under attack, if you feel like your faith is a bit malnourished, ponder what God has done for you in the gospel. See the treasures he's laid up for you in heaven. Know that they are certain and secure and be thankful. Gratitude for the gospel is what produces a walk of faithfulness in our lives. It's not how strong our faith is, but rather how much we're thankful for what God has done for us. So in verses 3-8, through Paul helps them and us to see that God has given us everything we need in the gospel to walk in faithfulness. In verses 9-14, through Paul helps us to see that God has given us everything we need in the gospel to walk in fruitfulness. Anybody here uh, like Peanuts cartoons? You guys remember those? A few hands raised. That's good. Lucy. What do you think about Lucy? Yeah. Well, there's this one cartoon where Lucy and Linus um, have this chicken wishbone, right? And they're going to pull it apart to make a wish. And Lucy was explaining to Linus how it all works, and that if he got the, the bigger half of the wishbone, his wishes would come true. And Linus said to her, do, do I have to say the wish out loud? And Lucy's like, of course, if you don't say it out loud, it won't come true. I always thought it was the other way around. But anyway, So Lucy goes and makes her wish first. And here's what she says. I wish for four new sweaters, a new bike, a new pair of skates, a new dress, and $100. Came time for Linus to make his wish. And he says, I wish for a long life for all my friends. I wish for world peace. I wish for great advancements in medical research. (laughs) Typical Lucy response. She takes the wishbone and she throws it in the trash and she says, Linus, that's the trouble with you. You're always spoiling everything. Paul's wish is more Linus than Lucy. 
We see it in verses 9 through 14. It's his prayer for them. But listen, in his prayer for them, this is something, listen, that we should be praying for us. These are things that we should be praying that God would work into our lives, okay? Paul's prayer has two main thrusts. The first thrust we read is in verse 9. Paul's prayer, they asking that you may be filled with all knowledge of God's will. Knowledge. That can be hard to come by. That's a lot of work to get knowledge, right? It just doesn't come to you naturally. Have you ever studied really hard for an exam? Do you remember that feeling, though, of satisfaction that came upon you when it all kind of became clear, like everything fell into place, the coin dropped, right? The sense that that you know the material well enough that you're going to do fine on the exam. There's something pleasing about gaining knowledge and putting it to useful work. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying it's pleasing. Paul has us consider how much greater the satisfaction is when we fill ourselves with the knowledge of God. The awesome, powerful, good, gracious, steadfast, love-giving God of heaven who made us in His image to reflect His glory your creator, your redeemer, you can know him more and more. That's Paul's prayer. That must be our prayer as well. Contrary to popular opinion, you can know God. In fact, he wants you to seek him and find him and know him. That's why the Son of God left heaven and came to earth, right? We cannot accuse God of not wanting to be known. The problem isn't that God's hiding from us. The problem is we're hiding from Him. We prefer darkness, not light. And so to know God and experience God, we must come into the light. And the good news is this. You need not fear to come into the light because God is gracious. He will forgive you. He will welcome you into His family, into His kingdom. God delights to show people like you and me mercy and grace. That is what God has done. God himself came down to bring this grace from heaven, this truth of grace that Paul is speaking of here. So, my friends, do not buy into the claims of the skeptics. God is not hiding from you. He came down to us so that we could know him. He enjoys when you and I draw near and seek to know more about him. Now, of course, how do we how do we come to know God and fill ourselves with the knowledge of his will? Well, obviously, it's through the Holy Scriptures that we have. And every Sunday after I read the sermon text, I follow it with words that are familiar to you. Probably maybe some of you guys have memorized it by now. You've been, some of you have been here for like 10 years plus, you know. Um, you know, I say, this is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And if you want to know God's will, if you want to know God's way, then we must know God's word. It's true. There's a, there, let me, I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to, I'm going to say there's a really strong correlation from spending time meditating upon God's word and knowing him. I'm just putting that out there. <laughs> the obvious. And so that's what Paul is praying for, that these people would be filled with the knowledge of God and of his, of his will. God has given us everything. He's given us his son, which is the word, with a capital W. He's given us his scripture, which is the word. And he's filled us with the Holy Spirit so we can understand and apply the word to our hearts. So, Grace Church, may this be our prayer this year. 
May we not cease to pray that we be filled with the knowledge of God and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. If you don't already have like a Bible reading plan, we've got, there's a table on back there with, with this sheet. It'll give you all kinds of different ways that you can use to, uh, to enrich your time of Bible study and devotion and prayer. I encourage you to take part in that. Out of thankfulness to Christ, let us commit to knowing Him more and more this year. The second thrust is this. That's the first thrust, that we be filled with His knowledge. And it leads to the second of Paul's prayer, which is that our walk would be worthy and pleasing to our Heavenly Father. Look at verse 10. We fill our minds with the knowledge of God's will so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Paul Paul shows us this high correlation between knowing God and His will and walking in a manner that is pleasing to Him. Notice he says pleasing, right? We all know this. When, when our, We love our children and we're pleased, you know, when they live their lives with uh, great love for us and obedience. How much more so our Heavenly Father? Paul knows that when we have the mind of Christ and we're able to, we're able to walk in this broken world in a manner worthy of Christ. Now, what does that look like? Well, there's elements that Paul shows us. Things that please God as we live them out. Four things. Begin in verse 10. First, bearing fruit in every good work. Remember this, my friends. Good works are not the root of a right relationship with God. They are the fruit of a right relationship with God. The more we fill our minds with our Heavenly Father's love and care and will for this world, the more fruit we produce. And of course, you know, elsewhere Paul talks about what this fruit looks like when the Holy Spirit produces it in us. And it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, the fruit of the Spirit. And it's true, isn't it? Think about it. If if someone is loving to you, joyful when they're around you, peaceful and patient and kind and good and faithful, and they're gentle, they exhibit self-control, um, are you not pleased by that? Do you not want to be around them? Do you not delight in that? Well, of course so. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It pleases God, our Heavenly Father, too. The second element is this, increasing in the knowledge of God. Understand this, my friends. Knowledge of God is not just head knowledge. It's experiential knowledge. We read in the Bible that God's love is what? It's a steadfast love. It's a patient love. It's a love that that bears with the sins of people. It's a love that makes peace. Guess what, Christians? Every day of our lives, we have a chance to get to know more fully this knowledge of God and how He loves this world and loves us. We have opportunities every day to exhibit steadfast love, patient love, sin-forgiving, peacemaking love. And the more we experience these things, the more we increase in the knowledge of God and, and how he, about His nature, His character. And we grow in grace towards others. So maybe instead of thinking that God's will for you would be for him to take you out of a difficult situation, maybe his will for you is to immerse you in it more fully so that you may grow in knowledge of just how much God has loved and forgiven you. 
My friends, I'm convinced of this. The more attuned our lives are to walking in God's will, the harder, not easier, our circumstances tend to become, right? Do you believe this, right? The, the, the more you want to live a life that honors God, often the harder things get. Well, believe this too. The harder our circumstances become, listen, the harder they become, the more power, the more endurance and patience we experience with joy. Now, I didn't make that up. It's right in your text there, right? Okay. The third element, verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. I like how he threw that in there. Listen, God delights in equipping us with all that we need to walk faithfully and fruitfully. Fourteen times in chapter 1, Paul uses the word all. He uses it twice in this, this one little phrase. He wants to drive home to us that when we are under attack, there is nothing that we lack. God delights to strengthen us with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience. And you caught that prepositional qualifier, right? With joy. You know, we tend to be pretty good at being patient, but being bitter, right? <laughs> if you're patient and being bitter, that it, the, the, the work of the gospel is really not at work. That's a human effort on your part. But God equips us with all power and strengthens us so that we experience all his power in our lives and it brings us joy. Isn't it true, my friends, when we respond to God's love for us with loving obedience to him, it really does produce joy. Even if it was a long, hard day of loving someone who's difficult, hard to love, difficult circumstances. You experience God's power in you in those moments. And, 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 and God alone is the one who's able to give you this love and compassion for someone who's difficult to love. You know it comes from God because you've come to believe in the gospel that you have this hope in heaven. And it changes you. At the end of that day, you go, that was a long day, but it was so good. There's joy. This joy leads to a fourth element that Paul speaks of. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance in the saints of light. There it is again. Thankfulness. Do you see the circle? Thankfulness leads to this desire to please God and to know Him, and to, and to, and to, which leads to fruitfulness, which leads to growing in the knowledge of God as we humble ourselves in service to Christ. And then we experience God's power and we're able to endure with, with joy. And so we're thankful and we give thanks to God. And, and then, of course, it leads to a desire to please Him and to be faithful and to walk with fruit. Right? You see, see how that works? See that circle? Thankfulness is the key. It's the, it's the circle of walking in a fruitful life. It's, it's the perspective we need. Now, as we come to the Lord's table this morning, let's take to heart what we've learned today. Listen, there is nothing lacking in the gospel message. Yes, it's simple. But it breaks all boundaries and all barriers. The message of the gospel is the key that God has that is capable of unlocking any heart of any person anywhere in the world at any time. And if it's opened your heart, this table is for you. The gospel lacks nothing that we need in order to walk faithfully and fruitfully.
That same gospel that those Christians years ago that we will see one day in heaven in Colossae came to believe is the same gospel that we've come to believe today. And so how about this? This morning, how about we just lay a hold afresh of the gospel? The simple, beautiful gospel. And what we see is as we as we've laid hold of the gospel, we come to realize that in the gospel, what? God has laid hold of us. And may we walk in faithfulness to the hope that has been laid up in heaven for us. Let us walk in fruitfulness, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us. Look at how he ends. Who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. My friends, isn't the gospel marvelous? Isn't the gospel all we need to live faithfully and fruitfully? It is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the simple gospel message. It comes to us with power. It changes us. It causes us to see our hope in heaven that it's secure. I pray for us today that we would believe this message, that we would anchor our souls to it, that we would be thankful, and that this thankfulness would work into us in ways that pleases you, our Heavenly Father. Amen.